Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. California's private home care industry is in crisis with overwhelmed employers and underpaid workers. That's from a new report out of UCLA's Labor Center. KQED's Farida Javala Romero has more. Hundreds of home care workers surveyed didn't make minimum wage, and only one out of five had ever taken paid sick leave. But nearly 60% of employers surveyed reported they can't afford to pay more. Researchers say most of the estimated 8 million Californians who are elderly or have disabilities don't qualify for publicly funded long-term care, like Angela Jamad's mom, who suffers from dementia. So now the battle is not only dementia, but how to keep mama in her home with loving, caring people around her. The report's authors recommend a new social insurance program to help all Californians pay for their long-term care through a 1% income tax. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. California lawmakers are expected to vote today on a bill to extend eviction protections for tenants still waiting on rent relief. More than 500,000 have applied for that assistance. KQED's Aaron Baldessari is here to talk about what this bill will mean for tenants and landlords. Aaron, let's start with the bill itself. What does it do? Yeah, so right now landlords can't evict tenants who've applied for rent relief but are still waiting on payments. That law was set to expire today, meaning tenants could be evicted as early as tomorrow. This bill, um, it's AB 2179, would essentially buy tenants more time for those payments to roll in until June 30th. And that's really important because only about 44% of the people who've applied have actually received or been approved for payments. The program has had all kinds of problems since it rolled out a year ago, many of which have been addressed. But more recently, the federal government has been slow to dole out money to the states, which has really hampered the state's own rollout of payments. And that's leaving a lot of tenants really anxious about what's going to happen if this bill doesn't pass. Rodney Davis, a renter in Sacramento, is one of them. His hours were cut during the pandemic. He'll be 62 next week, and it's been really hard for him to find new work. So he's really counting on this extension. I pretty much anticipate getting an eviction notice if this extension doesn't happen. 
And right now, I'm just trying to hold it together and, and maintain my faith that something will work, that we will get an extension. But I should add that even though this seems pretty straightforward, the tenant group, the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment, or ACE, was out protesting the bill at the state capitol yesterday because of some caveats in the bill. What sort of caveats are we talking here? Yeah, so for one, the bill doesn't actually extend the deadline to submit applications, which is today. And that's a big concern because we know that, for instance, non-English speakers in particular have had a really hard time applying to this program and are also underrepresented in terms of who is receiving those funds. And the second thing is that this bill overrides stronger city and county tenant protections that would have gone into effect on April 1st, including in San Francisco and Los Angeles County. And that's really frustrating for tenant advocates who fought hard for those protections. But that also seems to be one of the selling points for the landlord lobby. They say that this provision helps make the patchwork of local regulations more consistent statewide. So does that mean landlords are supporting this bill? And how are they reacting? Yeah, well, the California Apartment Association has come out in support in in large part due to this portion of the bill that overrides local protections. But others are much more strongly opposed. One landlord in San Francisco who I've been following for about a year now, his name is Jim Siegel. He still hasn't received money for two of his tenants, even though he started those applications in April of last year. And he says he's owed around $150,000, which is just a huge amount of money. That's drained his bank account. He's 66 years old and had planned to retire this year. Now he says he'll be working for at least one, if not two more years. And he feels like that's really unfair that landlords have been asked to shoulder this financial burden for their tenants. There are many small mom and pop landlords that You know, they own their building, they have a small apartment in the building, and they count on that money for retirement income or extra income to get them by. And this is really hurting them. Look, you know, there's also still a lot of questions about whether the state will be able to meet this new target of June 30th. A recent analysis by the research group PolicyLink found that at its current pace, the state won't be able to pay out everyone until Thanksgiving. I've asked representatives at the Housing and Community Development Department about how they plan to meet this new goal, and they have not yet returned repeated requests for comment. Aaron Baldessari covers housing affordability for KQED. Aaron, thanks for being here. Thank you. And if you're a tenant or a landlord and have questions about how the new law will impact you, head to kqed.org for more. A six-month-long investigation commissioned by the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors has found that L.A. County's homelessness services are under tremendous strain and in need of sweeping reform. KCRW's Danielle Chiriguayo has that story. The L.A. County Blue Ribbon Commission on Homelessness looked at what works and doesn't work in the county's response to homelessness. One of the big problems is that both the county and the city of L.A. rely too much on the L.A. Homeless Services Authority, or LASA, without having an entity dedicated to the housing crisis. So it's recommending creating a governing authority which would oversee all county departments providing resources to the unhoused. It would also take care of on-the-ground needs such as identifying housing and providing urgent 24-7 services. That would take the load off of LASA, which the report calls uncoordinated and lacking central leadership. The commission recommends LASA be reestablished as a decision maker, not a service provider. To help with accountability, the commission also suggests creating a local solutions fund. That would funnel Measure H money to where it's needed most and build transparency on how taxpayer dollars are used. 
Another problem with LA County is a lack of communication. It's being urged to share data with all stakeholders, which would track whether LA is actually fixing the housing crisis. For the California Report, I'm Danielle Chiriguayo in Los Angeles. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Soon you'll no longer have to show proof of COVID vaccination to get inside many businesses in Los Angeles. KPCC senior health reporter Jackie Fortier has the details. The L.A. City Council has voted to drop the requirement. The ordinance has been in place for almost five months. It went into effect as we headed into what became the Omicron surge. It required everyone 12 and over to prove that they were vaccinated to be indoors at restaurants, bars, gyms, and other businesses. Though, as time went on, fewer businesses checked. Keep your vaccine card handy. L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti still needs to sign off on the change. Even after it's rolled back, individual businesses can still ask for vaccine verification if they choose. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Exotic dancers at a North Hollywood bar have been on strike for more than a week to demand safer working conditions. KCRW's Robin Estrin reports. Dancers at Star Garden say two of their co-workers were fired recently after raising safety concerns. Charm, a dancer at the club, says that in one incident, her co-worker confronted a group of men who were filming a topless dancer, which is against club policy. After the dancer got security involved, Charm says her co-worker was fired. Then, management introduced a new policy. We aren't allowed to go straight to security if we have safety concerns. If someone records us or hurts us or touches us in a way that we don't like, we have to go straight to management. And then management will go to security if they decide that it's a good enough reason to intervene. Velveeta, another dancer on the picket line this week, says the policy undermines the safety of dancers who are often interacting with inebriated men. They care, they've demonstrated that they care more about selling a beer than they do about the safety of their workers. Strippers won employee status after a piece of legislation called AB5 went into effect in 2020. AB5 allowed former freelancers more worker protections, including the right to unionize. For the California Report, I'm Robin Estrin in Los Angeles. Efforts to get guns away from people who are prohibited from owning them have continued in California despite pandemic-related restrictions. State Attorney General Rob Bonta released a report yesterday on the Armed and Prohibited Persons System program for 2021. Despite real challenges in the field and real tolls on our agents, we seized 15 percent more firearms than last year, and we made 31 percent more contacts. The program, which is the first of its kind in the U.S., tracks people who come under a prohibited status after they've purchased guns for issues like felony convictions, domestic violence, or serious mental illnesses. Bonta says all told, special agents were able to recover more than 1,400 guns in 2021. Hi there. 
I'm Randadid Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. More than seven years after its passage, Proposition 47 has saved California $600 million in prison costs, according to a new report by a Bay Area nonprofit. Prop 47 reclassified many nonviolent offenses as misdemeanors, such as drug possession and property crimes, resulting in far fewer people being sent to prison. Maureen Washburn is a senior policy analyst with the Center on Juvenile and Criminal Justice. We're spending $3,000 a person compared to $100,000 a person for prison. It's extremely cost effective and the results are strong. Washburn says some 40,000 Californians have benefited from the savings in the form of substance abuse, mental health and housing services. The report comes after recent attempts in Sacramento to repeal or tweak the law which critics say fails to adequately punish crimes like smash-and-grab thefts at retail stores. And that's the California Report for Thursday, March 31st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system. On the web at chcf.org slash health dash equity. Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.